This message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Again, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Last couple of weeks, we've been asking uh, the question, are we living in the, the last days? And, and uh, we saw what Peter said about um, how to live life in the last days. Kind of base that upon what Jesus said about live lives that are watchful. But we're about to emerge. We're about to come out of a time of sheltering. I don't know if that's going to be days, weeks, months. Uh, I think everybody is going to kind of do that in their own style over the next periods of time. But as we do emerge, we have a lot of questions. What will life look like? You know, what is school going to look like next year? What is a, a restaurant going to look like for months, if not years? And what is church going to look like? New normals in all of those different situations of life. And we have probably more questions than we have answers right now. When we come to times in our lives when there's just maybe doubt, maybe a, a lack of direction, the Word of God points us always back to God and His counsel. The people of Hebrews were in a situation like that. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, it's written to Jewish believers, and they were really discouraged. They really wanted to turn back to the law, to the old way. And uh, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that was exactly. The name is not given, but we do see that as ordained work of God, and we see this as God's word. And the writer begins to address what it looks like to live in those moments of crisis and, and how to emerge out of crisis into a life of faith. And so this morning I thought it would be good for us as we're about to emerge out of a time of sheltering, what does our lives, what will they look like? Well, you know, what, what is life going to be like? What is God's call upon our life? Let me give you a little bit of background on the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews, again, written to Jewish believers, uh, they're kind of getting weak in their faith. They're getting discouraged. They want to go back to a, uh, the law, what was familiar. And so the first nine chapters of the book of Hebrews is really dealing with theology. It's dealing with how Christ is the sufficient sacrifice and how he has totally paid the price to redeem us to a holy God. So the first nine chapters are really a lot of theology. And then we get to chapter 10, where we're going to be looking today, and we begin to turn into a point of application. Well, maybe you can think of it this way. We go to a place where he explains this is why to a place where he says, okay, now this is how. I think you'll see that as we begin to open up and we begin to look at uh, these passages this morning that we'll uh, look at. Hebrews chapter 10, again, let's look at verses 19 through 21 to begin with. And what we see here is the uh, transition from theology to application. Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 19, look at the first word, therefore. Okay, but what, take all that has been said before, and now he has a point of application. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and, and let me pause right there. 
I, I want you to see the importance of the words. He starts off verse 19 with the word therefore, and then I want you to notice a phrase that he uses twice. Verse 19, since we have. Verse 21, since we have. The writer is pointing us from this sound theology, from the truth of God's word, now to a way that we should live our lives. And how important that is that as we emerge out of a time of sheltering, that we have this sound truth of how we should live. We've been looking, how do we live in the last days? But how do we live in these days that are ahead? You would think that as the writer of Hebrews begins to explain this, that drawing close to God is going to be primary. And it really is. You know, we saw Peter said, okay, come to God in serious, sober-minded prayer. And we can see that in these verses, that very much he draws us to the throne room of God first and foremost. Look at verses 23 through 25. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, the phrase, let us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Again, in verse 24, we see that same phrase. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit is some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verses 22 and 23, the writer is drawing us to God. Here are these people, the the Hebrews, they were, again, very discouraged. They were very much wondering, where do we go from here? Much like we are asking, just in a practical way, where do we go from here? And the first place that the writer of Hebrews points them is to God and, and how we can draw near to God because of the finished work of Christ. And we can hold fast in our hope that God's got everything under control because God has worked out a perfect plan of peace through Jesus Christ for all those who put their faith in him. And so in one way we have that theology, but then all of a sudden we we get this place where we go from God and God sends us out. That transition comes, and that really is God's call upon our life. Folks, as believers, we are called to come to God. We are called to, to draw near. We are called to hold fast the confession of our hope. But then look what happens in verse 24. He turns us from his throne room out into the highways and the byways that we would go share this hope with those that are walking beside us in life. So we get this instruction, you come to God, and, and then you go to, out to others. It's pretty much the summation that we saw of how Peter said to live in the last days last week. Remember what he said? First he said, you know, be sober in prayer. Where do we go in prayer? We go to God. So we come into the throne room of God. We, we come before him and we rest in all that Christ has accomplished and in that perfect peace that he has given to every believer. But what did Peter say afterwards? What did life look like in those last days? He said, I want you to love and be forgiving. I want you to be hospitable. I want you to use the gifts that God has given you to go do the work that God wants you to do, the ministry of God. And we really see that here 
by the writer of Hebrews. He really has this kind of same theme because he calls us first to go into God, but then he sends us out to do what? It says there in verse 24, to stir up one another in love and good works. The word stir up uh, means in the Greek, uh, the actual word would mean to incite, to start, uh, even maybe to provoke. It means that uh, that word by itself can lead us in a lot of different ways. When we heard the word incite, when we hear the word uh, provoke, it, it can be very much negative. But it's used in a positive sense here that we as the body of Christ are to go out and, and we are to provoke, to stir up, to incite people to be more loving and, and to do good works. Now, this good works, don't be confused here. This is not for their salvation. We're not saved by our good works. And, and the writer of Hebrews has thoroughly accomplished that fact in the first nine chapters. So don't be confused that he says, okay, go out there and do good works so you can go to heaven one day. No, he's firmly established that our only hope is Jesus Christ. But that is a permanent hope for those who have placed their hope in Christ. So now he transitioned to, if you want to say practical life, he says, as we go out and live this Christian life, as we have this hope of the gospel, as we have this hope of perfect peace because of the work of Christ. Go out there and in this hope, stir up one another in love and good works. How are we going to do that? I mean, we can see the negative of stirring up. In fact, in this time of sheltering, I can imagine if you have more than one child, if you have two, three, four, five child, that there's been some inciting, there's been some stirring up that's happened over this period of time. I mean, isn't it always amazing that, uh, uh, let's say a family of four or five, that uh, four of the five are there and one can come in the room. It can be mom, it can be dad, it can be one of the children. How there can be kind of an established kind of feeling in the room and all of a sudden one person can come in and change the whole direction for the rest of the family. They incite something, they start something. Now, again, a lot of times we think of that in a negative way, how somebody can come in with a, a, a word of judgment or a word of discouragement and, and bring that discouragement to the whole family. The writer of Hebrews says that we have that ability, but he's using it in a very positive way. So look at what God calls us as Christians to incite. We are to stir up one another, to incite, to provoke one another, to love and good works. The word for love here, uh, out of the many Greek words for love, is the same one that Peter used. Once again, we see this word agape love, God's love for us. God's love for us, this unconditional love, a love that is based more in action than it is emotion. It's not void of emotion, but its basis is in action. And so he calls us for, as the body of Christ, to be people that are out there uh, kind of in this active love and that we do it unconditionally. When I sit down and I uh, counsel with people, and especially in marriages where there's sometimes uh, been friction, maybe disagreement and hurt among one another, one of the things that I try to do is establish a new pathway. And not only stop the, uh, the, uh, you know, the actions that are in error, if there's uh, discouragement, if there's judgment, if there's just something that's not right. 
you got to stop that. But at some point in time, you don't just stop the evil. You don't just stop the negative. You have to start the positive. And so one of the things that I do oftentimes in counseling is I'll give homework. And sometimes it's as simple as, okay, you've got to go on two five-minute walks this week. And as you go on those walks, uh, say something encouraging to one another. Because here's what we have found. This is just the truth of human nature. Judgment usually brings judgment. But forgiveness usually can incite forgiveness. Humility often incites more humility. So if we want, if we take this word of God here, he says, stir up one another to love and good works. He says, okay, as we go out and do that, our hope is that we're inciting that into the lives of other people. It's not by chance that the author gives then a specific example in the next verse. Look at verse 25. He says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, one of the biggest battles of the Hebrew believers, they were facing um, uh, that they were just tired. They were growing weary. Uh, They had become tired. They were ready to give up. And so the writer here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's holy word, he said one of the antidotes to these feelings of giving up despair and weariness is encouragement. And as believers, that is our call one to another. I would see the importance of that in this day that we are living in as we're about to emerge from this time of sheltering, that the a word of encouragement is probably more important to our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our co-workers, than perhaps ever before. Biblical encouragement, though, is not just a pat on the back. It's not just an attaboy. It's not, oh, your hair looks good today. I mean, there's nothing wrong with somebody saying, hey, your hair looks good today. But biblical encouragement is, is an application of biblical truth to daily life. Why did the writer spend nine chapters in solid theology of how sufficient Christ was? See, that's his basis, and that's our basis of going out and encouraging the world. It's not just saying, oh, it's going to get better in the days to come. No, we have that hope that it's going to get better, but where do we place that hope? That a God who is sovereign, that awesome God that we just sang about, uh, a couple songs ago, that this God is awesome. He's beyond what we can even comprehend. But what we do understand about this God is that he's a loving God. He very much is this sovereign God that has a plan for the ages. But this encouragement is so important. That's why the Apostle Paul commanded the church in Thessalonica to encourage one another. He he, he used the term to build one another up. First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He uses this illustration that you can see maybe somebody slumping, somebody falling, and he said encouragement builds them up. He's not using that word building up like we're giving flattery to somebody. He's he's talking about in their soul, in their spirit, in their mind, in their heart. See, this is the difference between just being encouraging that person who goes around saying nice things 
and using biblical encouragement, that is the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel as the source of our encouragement. Proverbs 18.21 says it this way, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We can use the ability to speak, to speak life, or to speak death into somebody's life. So somebody uh, comes along, we can tear down, or to use the term that Paul gives, we can build up. This is what it says in Proverbs 12.18. Quite graphic here, but I think very appropriate. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do you see the contrast there? He says, you use words and the power of the tongue in the wrong way, and it's like a sword being thrust right into their their heart, to the vital system. It can take life away. It tears down. It doesn't build up. But what does he say? But the tongue of the wise, those who encourage out of truth, bring healing. What an apt word for for the day that we're uh, living in. In this time where we emerge from our time of sheltering, a time of almost hibernating away from, huddling away from the rest of the world, more than ever, I believe a word of true biblical gospel-grounded encouragement is needed. Folks, bottom line, there's a lot of people that are very frightened. I would say that even a lot of people who are Christians, who, who love Jesus, still the unknown of the future has them troubled. I, I've heard many people that say that they are having trouble sleeping at night. And, and I wouldn't say that it's just out of pure fear. It's just this kind of an anxiety, which is like fear. But it's the lack of knowledge of how do we live? Well, what is school going to look like? What is church going to look like? What is our family's life going to look like? The power of the tongue. The power of the ability to to uh, build up or to tear down. I love what Proverbs 10, 11 says. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So that's the challenge I want to put to you this week. It's a really simple sermon, maybe one of the most simple sermons that I have preached or maybe ever will preach, but but I want to challenge you with this thought. Verse 24 says, let us consider how. It means to contemplate, to strategize. It means to have a game plan. So I ask you this morning, how can you stir up love and encouragement first and foremost in your home? Uh, Among your spouse, uh, if you're the adults, uh, among the children, if you're parents, if you're the children, how can you do it to your brothers and sisters or maybe to your parents? We spent nearly eight weeks in sheltering and many of us are looking for a change. I mean, we're ready to emerge. And what hope do we have in these last weeks of sheltering? How can we use that time first and foremost with our family to stir up and to build up those in our family? Also, there's a time coming as we emerge, as we go out of our homes and we go back to some form of life outside and and we'll have the opportunity to stir up hope and build up those that we come in contact with. And we will find in the weeks and months to come that there will be those that 
have lost their job. There will be many that will be still in that grip of fear in the unknown. They'll be looking for hope in something that is not just an attaboy or a pat on the back or, yeah, your hair really looks good today. They're going to need something of substance, something that is foundational. And that's why these words of encouragement, this this challenge to go out and to stir up one another in love and good works, comes after nine chapters of solid theological truth of what Christ has accomplished. So, my challenge. First and foremost to your family. How can you strategize? Because it said, let us consider how. How do you come up with a game plan, even this week, that you can encourage those in your immediate family? And then as we begin to emerge out, as we come out of sheltering, how can you take that in a very practical way to those that are around you, your neighbors, your friends, your extended family, your co-workers? Because the word says, do this until that day. What day were they talking about? The return of Christ. That this is how we are, again, to live. This is part of having that watchful life. I want to leave a a, a picture in your mind this morning. I I don't know how many people still go roller skating. Uh, When I was young, (laughs) I would go, and uh, at first I didn't know how to skate. And back in those days, they didn't have those little contraptions made out of PVC that you can kind of hold on to and kind of get your, your way around. No, the, the way that we would learn to roller skate back in the day is that somebody kind of came behind us and, and really kind of supported us because our, our, our skates were going all over the place. <laughs> you know, we would have quickly fallen, not once, but many, many times had there not been a steady hand behind us. I want you to understand that that's really a picture of what the author of Hebrews is telling us to do. This support, that that we are to to stir up somebody in this encouraging way, that we're to build them up, as Paul told those in in the church in uh, Thessalonica, that we are to build them up, that we're to lift them up, we are to support them. There's not a home that doesn't need that right now. There's not a church that doesn't need that right now. And I promise you in the midst of this crisis as we emerge out that there's not going to be a neighbor or friend that in some form or fashion does not need that. This is our marching orders. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together today. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, your word is always always timely. Father, we could probably open any part of the Bible, open the Bible up to any section, and Father, those words would be relevant and pertinent to our lives this day. But as we think about uh, the church and the the believers there, Father, uh, that this was written to, Father, they were discouraged. They were kind of defeated. They, They didn't know what was ahead. And Father, they were tired. So Father, what an appropriate word that as those who love you and follow you, that we have 
a call to go out and be an encouragement one another. Father, help us to say those things that are kind of the attaboy sayings. Father, just to be encouraging people. But Father, let our encouragement go deeper than just kind of superficial things. Father, we have the hope of the gospel. We have the hope that even in troubled times that you are a sovereign God and you're in complete control. That Father, we may not even know what's going to happen in five minutes. Father, you know the eons of time. That is, Father, such an encouraging message. And as one, Father, that you've called us to go and share with all that we come in contact with. So, Father, help us this week to start first and foremost in our home. And then as we begin to emerge in the weeks and months to come, that, Father, that we would have this spirit of encouragement, Father, to go and share with the world that is looking for hope. Father, we pray this in the name of our hope, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.